Welcome to another episode of Adoption, The Making of Me. I'm Louise Brown. And I'm Sarah Reinhart. Make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Adoption, The Making of Me podcast. You can also find us at our website, adoptionthemakingofme.com. And please remember to subscribe, share, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Hi, Louise. Hi, Sarah. We are so bitterly close to the end. I'm guessing this will be our last, second to our penultimate, I think, mm-hmm. of I this think- book. I'm going to miss this book, which is A.M. Holmes, The Mistress's Daughter. I feel like a friend is going to be gone. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I like how we read it slowly because it's it's not I, well. It's like immediate savoring every every moment. I loved this section. It was so sad, and I really thought uh, of you through the whole thing. You did. Me too. Yeah, <laughs> I, thought of I me absolutely too. thought of you. So the recap is that she decides that she's going to join the Daughters of the Revolution, the American <laughs> Revolution. Not to be political. Some of her friends, by the way, are horrified. They're like, that's a very interesting (laughs) choice because it's a lineage organization. And that was one of the first things that her father told her when they met was that she was eligible. So it's a way of her, for her to connect to her past more. Yeah. There was two reasons that made me think of me. The first reason I'll get into the second later. The first reason is because my adopted family was the, my aunt is the daughter of the American revolution. I heard about it all growing up and this, that, and I remember being little and asking to join. Can I do that? I didn't know, you know, and she was like, of course, like all cute. And then later my uncle said, no, you can't. And I didn't know why. And I was really hurt by it. And now it's the reverse. Like she's trying to join and I wasn't allowed to join. <laughs> you know, when I first got on Ancestry and and went through all my stuff, found two biological relatives that had been in the Revolutionary War. So I am technically you can do it. a DAR, but yes, I, I don't at the moment have that desire, but... <laughs> Mainly because I'm lazy. I'd have to go like, oh my gosh, get all reading the proof. this. I was, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, she is, lazy, she is such an investigator, isn't she? She's I mean, so good. And, and well, in her writing, as we say all the time, is so compelling. But in order to join, and this mm-hmm. is the crux of this section, she has to show the DNA test. You know, she was adopted. And so she talks to them like, yeah, DNA tests will do. Yeah, so. which they took, if everyone remembers in the book, but he controls that, his own DNA he, Right, they, and she has not spoken to him since 1998, and it's now 2004, I want to yeah. say, or around mm-hmm. there, maybe a little bit later. The New Yorker article came out in 2004. I think you're right, or 2003, maybe the year before when she did. Well, when she's writing this, she says that the New Yorker article came oh, right. out in 2004. You're right. yep. you know, she had changed his name in the New Yorker article, and then the New Yorker wasn't going to publish it unless she gave the real name, and yep. then they ended up publishing. She gave the real name, they ended up publishing it. But so she has not talked to her father in six some odd years, No, she decides to have the lawyer call. Yeah. The best part about it, too, is all the fake calls in her head, like how the calls are going to go. And, you know, just the, okay, hi, dad, how are you? Well, that's, those are the letters. Oh yeah. She writes to him. Wasn't it also the calls? (laughs) 
Maybe. I don't know. I just felt like she had all these. Oh yeah, she does. I imagine asking him, yeah. you know, him answering the phone, his voice will tremble and he'll say, this is not a good time. Can I call you back? So she goes through all that <laughs> yeah. stuff in her head and finally decides, well, I'll have my lawyer call. And you would assume if the lawyer calls, there's going to be some good news on this. I mean, it's a lawyer calling just to get the test he already took. He's acknowledged yep. being her father before. And what happens? That's not. He refuses. <laughs> refuses and like says, don't call me again and call my lawyer. So, right. Any- so the first lawyer calls his lawyer and that lawyer is like, nope, don't have it. Don't know where it is or whatever he says. And then she gets a another lawyer, I guess like a. Friend he from was Washington. a Clinton lawyer. He was yeah. like a lawyer, a lawyer to the Clinton administration. You know, he was like, the guy's like, no, I'm not going to do it. You know, <laughs> she goes <laughs> through so anywhere. many lawyers. <laughs> yeah. But the thing that's, it's just it's so sad. not even the undercurrent that, no. you know, out in the open is how awful it is and how cruel he's, he's so disregarding her. like this. I had this one line. Well, there's several that I was like, Wow where she says, call me naive. There was a part of me that thought when my lawyer called and asked for the test results, the answer would be yes, of course. And how is she? Yeah. Nothing like that. Not a concern. I mean, that's, no. it's, it's rejection, rejection, rejection. And she even said, I wanted him to like me, right? Like when she was talking to her friend, her friend's like, what'd you expect? He's a jerk. He was awful to look how he treated your biological mother. Look how he treated Ellen. And she's like, yeah, but he's my father. I mean, you want it to be different. Yeah. Well, and she says, you know, and now I also have to defend my dead mother. My friend is right about this. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about the way he behaves, how he values people, how Mm -hmm. he does only what he wants and what's good for him. My mother had no life after she gave me up. She never married, never had another family. She had invested in him from very early age. He used her and then said goodbye and she never recovered. I I circled. She never recovered. Mm hmm. I mean, it's painful. You know, it it is painful. There was, I like this too, you know, like she's writing the letters in her head, you know, and then (laughs) she says what bubbles beneath is rage, nuclear hot rage. And below that deep grief, profound disappointment that he is not capable of more, cannot rise to the occasion, does not feel compelled to do better. No, that's just sad. So this, you know, leads me to why I thought of you. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like AM, you're not wanting, you know what your situation is, but you want acknowledgement of who you are. And that ghosting thing is like, you're not important. You don't exist. You're not real. Uh, ghosting is the worst thing to do to an adoptee. Yeah. For anybody to do to an adoptee, uh, like not just the, yeah. Friends. No, I mean, I'm just saying in general, like Relation. yeah, ghosting is is really just salt on the wound over and over again it is it's probably our biggest fear right i've been ghosted i will never ghost you it sucks (laughs) (laughs) it does suck right yes i I promise on this podcast i will never ghost you same (laughs) do you remember the person who shall not be named when he ghosted me and i had you calling all this (laughs) years ago did he die? How did we not know we had a podcast just from that alone? <laughs> Make sure he's okay. Oh, I know. Oh boy. So now she's basically gotten to the point where there's nothing else to do but take it to the law. Yeah, take it to the law and and sit on her feelings, really. 
As mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of the, the sad part of the end of this section is, you know, she says, based on nothing except my own blind faith, I am cautiously optimistic that there will be some natural opening, some give on Norman's part. I resolved to do nothing for the moment, to watch and wait, to allow myself to catch up to my feelings, to see over time where the story leads me. Mm-hmm. I did. There was one little thing that I mm-hmm. highlighted that really stuck out to me with talking about, you know, joining the DAR is not essential to my health and well-being, but the idea that my father mm. or any one person can decide to exclude someone from her lineage profoundly bothers me. Yeah. It's about adoptee rights. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what she says. This is not about the DAR, but about adoptee rights to access and join their own heritage. Mm-hmm. Isn't that... So much of what this is about. And really, we're here for the adoptees. We were talking about this today, you and I off camera. But, you know, there's a lot of layers in this. There's all sorts of people in the triad that get hurt and have feelings and good intentions or bad intentions. But we're really here about the adoptee. Well, we have another guest coming that I think people are going to love. A little youth coming towards us. Yes. A different voice. Yeah, a different voice. A fresher voice. Yes. I'm excited. All right. See you soon. See you in a minute. Bye. Bye. We just wanted to say thank you to our new sponsor, S12F. Between him and our Patreons, we are now weekly, which is so exciting. We've been trying to reach this goal for quite some time. So thank you to everybody who's been a part of this and for helping getting us here. And if you too want to be a Patreon and be part of this, you can go to patreon.com and search for Adoption the Making of Me. But really, we just wanted to say thank you to everybody for making this possible and to continue making it possible. So hello, we are here for another wonderful episode. We have a guest today that I followed on Twitter and Sarah and I both thought, you know, he's got some great stuff out there with his blog and some podcasts of his own. So I'd like to introduce Adam Anthony, and with the Onward and Upward is his brand. He can talk about that. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Hi, Sarah, Louise, thank you so much. It's it's a great time to be here with you guys. So thank you for introducing my Onward and Upward. Sometimes I forget that that's the brand that I created. (laughs) You know, it's like sometimes you just get so involved with the work and just trying to move forward, Onward and Upward, and then somebody reminds you, hey, you know, this is this is you. Like this is what you've done. This is the platform that you're building. So I appreciate you guys keeping that alive for me. Of course. Well, Happy thank you. It's, it's good stuff too. And everybody should follow him on Twitter because you have a lot of stuff going on on Twitter. You're like your favorite <laughs> person to look at. <laughs> thank you. Twitter. Twitter is a lot. <laughs> it is. I, yeah. I definitely look at it differently now as an adult yes. than when I was a kid. I don't know what I was talking about back then, but now it's like some more substance. <laughs> yeah, it's big. Well, tell us your adoption story, you know, start yeah. from the beginning and let us know. What's your Genesis story? You know, and it's really interesting that you're talking about the beginning of this because there's a writing community group that I recently joined where that's like what we're talking about the beginnings. And I didn't realize how much that's changed for me because for me, I was born in Knoxville, Tennessee. And, you know, I've always known that I was adopted. Right. My adoptive mother, she adopted me. She was a single parent and she's always been truthful, communicating to me, you know, I was adopted. 
Now, I didn't really conceptualize that or understand that as a kid until like years later and started to notice different things. Were you a transracial adoptee? No, I'm actually a same race adoptee. Yes. So I'm a same race adoptee. My adopted mother and my adopted father are both African-American and Black. And we together kind of made a family unit, I would say. And then I have a a adoptive sister that's younger than me that is their biological child that we just sport together over the years and became a family together. So I was born in Knoxville and being told that I was adopted, it didn't, like I said, it didn't really mean much like in the beginning until when I got probably like teenage years, I had like a lot of angst and a lot of questions and a lot of anger. And then I just started to like, well, if I'm here and this is my family that I have, where's the other family? Like, what does that even mean? Like you're saying that I'm not actually your child in the sense that I'm supposed to be your child. And I never really processed it. I I didn't really understand what that meant. And also there wasn't anyone else who I knew that was in my position as an adopted, you know, kid that I could even talk to. So did you tell people you were adopted when you were young? Like did friends or did you? I tried this thing. I tried to like test it out with people. Some of my childhood friends, I tried to like tell them like, hey, so I'm adopted what do you think about that? <laughs> and they're like, huh? I mean, they your mom really is your mom, your dad that. is your dad. Yeah, no, yeah. they didn't really understand. And I'm just like, oh, you're not giving me what I need in this conversation. <laughs> but of course you can't because you're not adopted. But all I ever knew as a kid was that my biological mother, which I'm sure a lot of adoptees can understand and relate to this, was a teenager that was not in a position to be raising anybody's child. And, you know, the forces that were at the time, you know, led her to do that. And she didn't look back. And that was all I knew. You know, she she was, you know, a teenager and she was single. And her and her mother, you know, would be able to say, we're not doing this. We we can't afford to do this. So this is not, this is not the life that we can move forward with. And then my adoptive mother found out about me when I was in Knoxville and she adopted me. How did she find out? And were you an infant? Yeah. So I really feel, I have to say, I have, I really feel blessed that I have my adoption records at this stage of life because it was just stories that were said. It was just kind of like anecdotal references that I really couldn't connect the dots to, but now I can. And so my adopted mother at the time, you know, was told by my social worker that was over my case about my situation. And I was in foster care for a brief period of time, like I was in it, but still, so I couldn't really recall anything, but she was told about the situation and they were like, I guess, acquaintances at the time. And so then my adoptive mother, she was a single, you know, hardworking professional, you know, Christian woman. She wasn't really looking to get married or have kids any of that. She was just being a boss in her life. You know, the social worker told her about me and how I really needed to be placed in a situation that was stable. And now it was pretty, it was pretty serious and it was like an emergency. So it's like, if she did not adopt me, you know, that, that heightened, you know, instant, you know, Hey, we got to step in here. That's kind of what that energy was. I think And my mom, you know, was available and she, you know, was like very connected to when meeting me, knowing that she was going to adopt me. And that we were going to have a family together and that we were going to be together. I'm assuming that if you weren't adopted, you would have gotten into the foster care system. It would have been ugly. Yeah. 
And all what of year this, was this? So I was born in 1994. So this is all in the span of 1994. Like this was very quick, even though when I look back at like adoption records, it seems like it took a long time. In retrospect, it feels like it was very quick because this all happened before I probably turned one, you know, in the matter of me being born, me being in foster care for a brief period, and then my adopted mother adopted me. So, which and I'm And she wasn't for. married at the time. No, she was a single woman. And like I said, she was told about the situation from the acquaintance of a social worker. And yeah. then, you know, her heart and mind opened up to being able to do this. So, which if that was not the case, who knows? But I feel like back then I was still in the foster care system in Knoxville and unknowingly having family that are actually in the same city, <laughs> same states yeah. who have no idea of my existence. The other family, your extended family as well. Yeah. Yes. Like anyone biologically that I was related to not knowing that, you know, there's a kid that's, you know, born and he's in foster care and he's about to be adopted. Just takes you back for a second, yeah. you know, when you think about it. And so that's why I'm glad to have this information now because it just puts a fuller picture as an adoptee's experience for so many things that happen to us from the time that we're born to the time that we're an adult and being able to like go on this journey. Now, how long was it just you and your adoptive mom until she got married and had your sister? About a few years. So then her husband, did he adopt you? Mm -hmm. Yes. My adoptive father. Yes. That's my father. And I always refer to them as my parents because they're my parents, but it was us for a few years. And then they got married and then they had my sister after that. And it's just became us for. And are you still in touch with them, close to them? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we all still live relatively close to each other. I mean, I'm, I'm a grown young adult, as I like to say. So, <laughs> you know, I'm very intentional about trying to keep relationships at a level where we are in each other's orbit. But I think that at this stage, I've realized that they know, and I know, I'm still going on this journey and still discovering more things and still learning more truths and still healing and still speaking. And that's not going to stop. But that does not mean that my relationship with you know them just ends because right, yeah, I didn't not. choose to be here and do any of this and live this, but I'm trying to make sense and make peace with what's a very difficult, difficult, difficult experience. And that has a lot of pain. They see that, they know that, but I think there's also this like line where it's like, I still continue to be me and finding resources like you two and other adoptees that understand which I've mm -hmm. never had, you know, in almost 30 years of life. And so they see that that's something new. They see that, oh, he's actually connecting. He's actually searching. He's doing things at such a momentous speed <laughs> that, you know, it can create this like separation. It can yeah. create this just like, oh, Naturally. you're adopted. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it has to be intentional. And have you found your biological family? Yes. Big discovery. <laughs> Big discovery. So yeah, I started that journey in 2018, I'll say. 
And I remember I was in a very lost space where I just wanted to find some things that made sense for me. I've always been a deep person. I recently affirmed that about myself, but it's taken years to get to that place because there's always been this longing. And in 2018, I was lost and I was trying to find, for some reason, like, I just thought, okay, I battled years and years of whether I want to go and know or whether I just want to move forward and just forget that I'm adopted and anything that ties with that. And just that year, something in me just kicked and was like, we're going to go full speed ahead and we're going to turn over every single rock. We're going to do everything we can. And I was working with a case manager in Nashville. And, you know, we worked side by side and me, you know, applying for my records and just starting that search. And then once that took place, I got my records and then I actually got names of people who I was biologically related to. And it all just kind of started flowing. And then in case you did not know, I'm like a PI. So if you give me a clue, <laughs> you I'll and ado- most adoptees, <laughs> we, share we, have to be. <laughs> yes. we have to be. Nobody else is doing it for us. So uh, once I got that, I felt like the door just opened up and I was like, wow. So I want to ask you something. So how, when in 2018, were you in therapy? Like, what do you think triggered that? Do you, I mean, you know what I, I love about your story is just that you're so together. You know what you're doing on this journey for a very young person. And I just think I love that. And I didn't know if you had any help in that with therapy or you just kind of came to this on your own or. You know. I'm so glad you said that. And I received that. I appreciate it. But no, I didn't. I didn't have therapy. And I wish that I did when yeah. I started it. Because when I started the journey, I was in a pretty raw emotional state. Mm. Like I said, I felt lost. And I thought that if I found my biological family at that stage of life, when I was questioning so many things about myself, my identity, that would make more sense. Like that would help me be more yeah. confident in me. Right. And what I realized is I've met my father's biological side of the family first. I just realized that there was so much similarity that I had in meeting like my father, my siblings, extended family. But then, you know, over the span of, I would say, two to three years to date now, there's a lot of differences. And just Mm -hmm. the fact of you have no idea who I am. I've lived X amount of years out of your existence. You've lived X amount of years out of my existence. And we can't cover that gap. We can't do this in a way that just says, okay, because we share blood, because we're connected this way, everything's just all good. The love is there. Sure. Love can be there. But also who I am as a person, I've worked really hard to get to be who I am. And you either can appreciate that or not. And the same for you. And I think I realized that at some point I was so raw without having any resource to help me in mm-hmm. meeting my biological family that I just was vulnerable. I was mm-hmm. so exposed to wanting to connect with people who I'd missed out for all these years. And I just had no sort of safeguard, no sort of like boundary, nothing. It's a tricky thing because... You know, your biological family, an, an adoptee's biological family has had all these years where they have their life and their dynamics mm-hmm. and their relationships. And then we don't fit in really with our adoptive family. And so we're just kind of floaters in the world of, so it's very common and it's very painful to. It is because once you realize it, then it's like, oh, 
So this didn't fix everything. (laughs) No, it starts a whole nother thing, right? It's not not the ending. It's the beginning of something else. Yeah. Another thing to heal. And then when you mentioned Louise having a therapist, I did find a therapist in 2020. And he came like in the middle of that discovery with reuniting with my biological family. And I'm glad he came when he came because he's trained in a lot of trauma-centered things, even if it's not adoption-specific. He's worked with me, and he's been very open to like learning more and doing more, which I'm very grateful for. But because I got to connect with him, that's what really, I think, saved me from going further into this like abyss of yeah. adoptee longing, vulnerability, and just a chaotic... You know, getting your boundaries around you a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It helps me kind of like go back and say, wait a minute, we can hit pause on this, like check in. This is good. This is good for listeners (laughs) to hear. And if if there's people listening, then they're going to do searching and, you know, knowing it's not, you know, maybe get the help up front to be there for you. And, you know, did your adoption degree provide your birth mother's name? Is that how you found I mean, so, I just wondering, like we were both baby scoop era, so we didn't have that wasn't on in our adoption decree. We only had non-identifying information. So Yeah. So I recently learned through Twitter and all of you guys talking about what an OBC is. And now that I know that term, like because the only birth certificate I actually ever had was my adopted parents. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't even realize that wasn't the real deal. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I didn't realize that was the real deal. It's like whenever you go to do something like a job or whatever, it's like, here's a certificate. But then when I looked at the records, it did have my biological mother's name on there. But the thing that I learned that was hard to accept and process was my biological father's name was not there. And he wasn't there because he didn't know that I was alive and that he had a son. And so, yeah. He wasn't given that option. No. And there's something to be said with that whole reality, which I know quite a few people face. And I'm sure they have difficult emotions and thoughts around that, like I have, because I'm like, why? Like, this is a missing piece. This is a man who helped create me. So where's he at? Why should I have to go search long and hard for him, you know? Whatever the circumstances, I'm not saying that they're not wrong circumstances or whatever the reasons are, but I just feel like the adoption records weren't concerned about a baby growing up and wondering what's going on and coming back later and realizing that their story is incomplete and that there's information that's, you know, empty, missing, whatever. There's there's so little Um, thought for the infant. I mean, honestly. The babies, there's so yeah. little thought for going forward. What will this baby want? I mean, that's just. Yeah. And still. I didn't have that. So I had to like do that PI stuff. I had to ask questions. I had to use 23andMe. That was a huge like window. For had me you met your birth mother at this point? No, I met her after I've met like my father's side of the family because mm. there was something in me that said, based on what I knew, which I won't really go into all the details of her side yet. But what I will say is since his was a question mark for me, I wanted to, I knew, I knew quite a bit about her, but I needed to know more about him. And so I figured it would be, you know, good for me to see what's going on with that side of the family. Cause they have no idea about me, nothing. And the shock of just realizing, you know, that 
my father has another son when he has other children. It's just, wow. And it helps me understand a lot of important things about myself and meeting him and that side of the family because we're very alike. And I've always just been drawn to, for some reason, having a male figure that, you know, connects to me in a way that is just so organic that it's like we're each other's. Yeah, that's I could I could just see it. I could just see it. I was wondering that if you had (laughs) the draw for like a male, because most people do search for their mother first or talk to the mother first. So, you know, it's interesting to hear about that, actually, like having a a strong draw for that. Yeah. Well, it's just because like it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense to me why he wasn't in the picture. And so I needed Mm -hmm. to see for myself to understand what is going on. And fortunately, many of these probable experience as many answers as we may want and get the opportunity if we can to meet our biological parents. That does not mean that they're just going to open up the red carpet to give all the answers and details and talk about who they were years and years and years and years ago, which was a painful lesson. But, you know, I now have confirmation that I now know who my people are. I got yeah. to see, you know, who they are. I see people that look just like me. Like, I'm kidding you. Nah, I think you were on that thread, Louise, mm-hmm. where I shared on Twitter with like the families and like, you know, who do you look like? And my great grandfather. I and think I, I put like, something up, something up. <laughs> yes, there it is, too. Yes, you're yeah. identical. Yeah. Yeah, so. it, it's pretty amazing. You know, I just want to say, you're very young and this can still, these relationships have a lot of time to evolve and change and, you know, people grow or they get old, you know, I mean, it, this isn't the end of the road. It might be this way right now. It doesn't mean it's going to be this way in a year. It just, it can evolve. Sometimes people need a little space. Sometimes, you know, it's a, it's a lot for everybody to grapple with. And just, you know, the, if the door's shut at the moment, it doesn't mean it will be. So just, I know it's so painful and it's good. You have somebody, you know, you might also consider there's a lot of adoption therapists out there, a lot of adoption groups that, you know, healing groups, like you've probably maybe explored all this, but, but that's also something to think about Mm -hmm. too, because so many people have been through this and it's good to share and have that. And I want to have like one extra locally for me. That's not just like an online support. Yeah, it'd be nice to have it in person, wouldn't it? I feel the same way. Yeah, yeah, just to have us a resource whenever, you know, we want to be able to have that space together. Because like I said, I didn't realize like as a kid, how instrumental that would have been when you have all these questions and anger and angst and confusion Mm -hmm. and pain. And it doesn't make any sense when you're like six, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever. And then you have to wait almost 20 years. I know. Other it's people, also really many, kind many of years. yeah. It's hearing you talk too. Like so, you you were adopted in the '90s, and then you became you know a like even still in the early 2000s. Nobody thought to say, "Hey, adoption is trauma. Relinquishment is trauma. We should get ahead of this. Let's get him some therapy. Let's all have therapy together as a fan." Like it's still not happening. Is pretty no, shocking no. to me. I think what happens, and I don't know if other adoptees experience this, but I know for me, you know, you you try 
or you believe that you're assimilating so well because you love your family and you love your cousins, your friends, whatever it is. And you just live that day-to-day life as a teenager, as an elementary school student, college yeah. student, whatever, whatever. But then you get into these phases where you're like, oh, wow, I'm adopted. And this is not fully my life. Like there's something missing here. Like I wonder where my birth mother is. I wonder where my birth mother is. Do I have siblings? Do I have a biological grandfather? Yeah. All these things happen and then you leave it and then go back to like- I always life. felt like I had some big secret and I was like hiding it. You know, it was a different era, but I was really don't, you know, I think about it and then squash it and squash it way down there and then feel guilty for even thinking the thoughts. You know what I mean? If you look yeah. back and think about that, like what Sarah's saying to have the early- because it is, but modern. I mean, more the point yeah. I'm making was more about the fact that that the adoptive parents and the social yeah. workers don't say, "Okay, we Let's know this about, We know yeah. that relinquishment is trauma. In the early '90s, it was out there. Relinquishment is trauma. Why do we not address that with kids when they are little? To you know, it's just still. Yeah, because it's still a narrative of how mm-hmm. wonderful adoption is. It's and, a narrative. You know, it's still that it's still that public narrative about that. And you know, I'm I'm glad that you said that too because recently, because I've started everything that I've started, there's just been this like righteous anger that I've had to be able to just want to tell people, you have no idea, you have no idea what you're talking about. Like you don't like, and you may think that you know me as one individual who's just grown up that you may remember I'm adopted, you may not remember I'm adopted, doesn't matter. But you don't really know how hard it is to just put that aside and just mm-hmm. hide that. You don't really have a space. You don't have a safe space to heal and ask questions. Just talk. Just right. talk to someone about all the things that you're thinking or experiencing. Mm-hmm. So you don't have that experience. You don't have to go through that. But I would encourage you to have more grace when you're curious to why any of us would go on the journey that we go on and why if we're speaking the truth about things that we don't like or that we're angry about or frustrated about, about being adopted, you listen. Just because yeah, you're used to very that. well said. Yeah. Very listen well said. to our voices. We have the lived experience you don't have the lived experience. Don't tell me how I'm supposed to feel or not feel. No. Listen with no. grace is a good way to put yeah, that. Yeah, so nice. For everyone, like, I mean, I think I started to notice that I'm I'm really happy that I'm seeing more Adopted Connects, even if we agree, disagree, have shared experiences, don't. I'm glad to see more as an adult. I'm glad to see more people show up because I noticed when I started sharing my story, some people were supportive. A lot of people ignored it, and some people yeah. had a lot to say that was not positive. And so I just kind of took all that in, and I'm like, hmm, there's adoptees wrong. There's more adoptees now. Like, there's more adoptees who are following or I'm connecting with, and eventually that'll build if I keep going with this. It won't be mattering as much to, I mean, yes, we want to kind of infiltrate you know, the mainstream (laughs) and get other people to know. But I feel like the people who I would have said are friends or relatives or whatever trusted people at this stage, it just changes. That's what I'm saying. It just changes the more I lean in to all this. You see some shifts in relationships for sure. 
and some distancing and ignoring is also is also a reaction, right? So that's always interesting to me, the ignoring part. Yeah. Because there's yeah. no dialogue in that. It's uh I want to hear more about your story too, like how you had siblings from your dad on your dad's side. You said he has other children. Are you close to them at all? The thing that I feel like I learned when meeting them, and even when I eventually met my biological mother's side of the family, some of them, I met people when they were in a place of dysfunction and pain, mm-hmm. like without saying all their things and putting out all their business. I just think that that's just what I walked into. I walked into transitional phases that I didn't understand that had nothing to do with me really. But because that was going on, it made it difficult to make these relationships that I really wanted to make. Like I have siblings that, you know, two are the same age as me. We were all born at the same time, which is wild. But that's that's wild. (laughs) It is. But, you know, we're all so different as far as just like the life that we're living, the lives that we're living. And as adults trying to make relationships versus being kids that you grew up with, you don't have that luxury of saying, okay, well, this is my brother. So, you know, or this is my sister. So let's just, you know, be all together and kumbaya at all. No, like you're an adult. You can do whatever you want to do or don't want to do. And I can do the same thing. So we really have to be intentional. And like Sarah said, as long as we're alive, Maybe things will change as we continue to grow and do better for ourselves and just live as we are, hopefully. But it, it was hard. It was hard to make those relationships because, again, I did not have really an understanding for myself of what are the standards and expectations for me to mm-hmm. make sure that I'm safe and engaging in these relationships. And what is it from you that's going to say, yeah, I'm willing to open up my heart. And I'm willing to open up the possibility that we could actually have, you know, this kind of relationship, even though I have X, Y, Z going on in my life. So I'm kind of at the place where it's like, okay, like I see them, but I look at them and I'm like, yep, that's my brother. That's my sister. We look alike. That's great. That means everything. And that's kind of like what I take now, you know, because I still get to have that. That doesn't go away. Nobody can take that away from me. Whether or not they feel the same way, that's up to them. But for me, I guess I'm kind of used to it. I'm used to going in and realizing that there's so little I can control. (laughs) There's just so little. Like I think, Sarah, you said, you know, they go on and build their family unit and their life. And it's like you were never there. So for you to just come in and then just expect Insta family is very, very lofty. That's a very lofty goal. And I, I take ownership. <laughs> of I really do because I have a huge heart and I'm, I love connection. So, but therapy has kind of, you know, slowed that down a little bit and tried to, you know, see what the playing field is, see like what's actually going on and make sure that I'm not losing myself just for the sake of wanting connections with people and wanting healthy, like healthy quality connections with people because I'm not at this stage of life where I feel like I'm just going to give people access to me just because we're family. Like, and the same back, like I I want it to be intentional. I want it to be where it's like, okay, you know, you respect what I have going on here. 
and I can respect what you have going on here. And we can really be intentional about being there for each other. Intentional is big. I recently met with my biological cousins I've never met on Zoom just a week ago. And I felt like I was in a place, they were saying, oh, for so many years, we wanted to know you. And I wasn't there, you know, with some things. And But it was nice. It was intentional. I said, I want to be here and I want to get to know you. And it, I feel you, Sarah's right about your youth. I mean, you have, so, and you're so mature about it. You have your boundaries. I didn't have those boundaries till I was older. So, you know, you're going to do really well with this. I think long-term just having people come in and grow, like you said, you know, your siblings are in, they're young too, and going through transitions in your forties and fifties, people, you know, change and grow and soften makes me cry. But anyway, (laughs) are you local? Is everybody local? Most like, as far as like the immediate family units. Yeah. But there's a few that are out of state that are further away. So that kind of makes it hard. But it's, it's also like, again, like it's just reality. Like when I walked in, People were doing, they were living different lives where I could just see, see that things were hard, <laughs> see that things were like stressed, or see that there were just things that had nothing to do. That's a pretty healthy thing, though, that you can walk in and see that. A lot of people can't. They'll walk in so overcome with their feelings of what they need to have back yeah. that they don't see that. You know, we've heard a lot of those stories. So, just even for you to know that, even though it's disappointing, it's kind of, you know, it's not small that you recognize that. What was hard? Cause I felt like I was like battling both. Like I felt like, okay, for example, I found out that I have, you know, a nephew who's like five and he's like across the country. Like I've never met him in person, but I love that kid. And I'm like, okay, one day you're going to grow older and hopefully Remember, there's some uncle somewhere in the world that you can, you know, reach out to if you want to do that. Even, you know, while that's not a reality now, I try to make sure that I don't lose the hope and the desire for that because that is very important. It's super, super important. Like, it's easy for me to get angry and frustrated and sad at relationships not always going the way that I want. But there's also been a lot of joy with relationships that I've gone well. Like, I don't know if you follow this or not, but my great grandmother on my biological father's side, she passed away last year and me and her were like this. And so, you know, even though we didn't have a lot of time together, she taught me some very important things about just how unconditional like her love was. Mm -hmm. Now she was like 80 something years old, but that doesn't matter because she was just available and she knew she knew me. She knew me to the point where it's that's like, part of the wisdom of being older. As she knew, <laughs> she didn't have that weird thing with you. Yeah. She wanted to give you love. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. She knew. So it's like she she didn't care. She was like, I know this is this, and I know that's that, and you want this, and you want that. But it's just so nice to be able to know that that was easy. Mm-hmm. Like that was easy for us that's to great. do. You know, I love that time. But I'm also I've always been like a grandma's boy. So, you know, um, <laughs> I've loved all of my grandmothers. So, yeah. What about your mother, your biological mother? Is mm-hmm. that, have you? It's this tug of war between giving grace to a lot of things that I 
like in my heart, I have a lot of grace for things that I wasn't there for, things that I don't know, all the above. And then wanting accountability for any pain that I have. And it's a typical war. And so I think that what I've realized in my attempt to connect with her is I felt like I was in a position to have to give more grace than getting any accountability. And, you know, it felt unfair to me because it's like, if I'm giving you all the grace, that's, that's good. That doesn't feel forced. But if I'm not getting any accountability to help me move forward in my life to some degree, I just don't see what this relationship really looks like healthily for either one of us. And I think, you know, there's just things I still don't know. There's just things that I still don't know. That's whenever or however, you know, a biological mother would want to share that with her child. Who knows? Did she have children after you? Yeah, I have a a brother that's about, I think, like maybe 10 years younger than me or something like that. He's young. Yeah, yeah, he's young. And, you know, he's a good kid. But again, a family unit that's been created. A family unit that's been created. And I think that that's, again, it's like I'm the foreign plant disrupting the ecosystem where it's like, okay, that's something that's been grown. Whatever it looks like, however good or bad it is, that's there. Was it always like that? Like even when you first contacted her or did it become that? You know, I'm curious. Like at first was she like, oh my goodness. And then it went into that or was it always kind of this boundary? Well, we're kind of similar in ways that are really good and ways that are possibly unproductive where we both observe and we just see like what's going on. You know, we can just suss up. We can see mm-hmm. where the beat is and we're able to just know, like, if we want to continue or not continue, mm-hmm. which is helpful. But also, I think we both are very spirited people. Like, we're very passionate, you know, like, full of opinion and attitude kind of people. And I think with us, I just, I wanted things that I felt like had, like, a person would have a larger capacity that was not measuring that was not congruent to who i was actually seeing Mm -hmm. and that was hard for me to accept that and just still have a relationship because it felt like i wasn't getting something that i wanted and so you know only through therapy i kind of was like okay well if i would have gone back and done that you know maybe having a smaller capacity you know expectation would be helpful but again you have to know who you are. You have to know that if that's yeah. what you actually want, if that's what I actually want, there's nothing wrong with wanting that. There's nothing wrong with wanting accountability. There's nothing wrong with wanting, you know, someone to have just as much excitement to yeah, the love and excitement. drive across town and meet me yeah. for lunch or breakfast or something, even if it inconveniences them. Even yeah. if it means that, you know, they're having to work. I'm the child. I am your child. So it's not supposed to be me. It's not supposed to be me that does the heavy lifting. So, you know. It's so often the adoptee who does, by the way, you know, balances the adults. We're always trying to juggle and take Mm -hmm. care of everybody around us. That's very, very common among us. Yeah. It sucks. (laughs) And it's just, it does suck. (laughs) 
It does. But, you know, again, it could evolve, you know, if, if other parties get their own, start working on themselves and looking in the mirror. I mean, it's that people do that in their own time. Unfortunately, it's not in our time. But I definitely feel like you have a lot more to come. This isn't the end of the road. It's the beginning. And and you're growing as a person and healing, you know, and that's all you can do. Take care of yourself, heal yourself. Yeah. And the relationships will be what they'll be, you know. You're in a healthy relationship, right? I don't want to say, oh, talk about your personal life, but you're you're doing well in your personal relations. Yeah. Have I, mean, I don't know how other adoptees feel about this. I've only talked to a few, but it can be hard to have those partnerships when mm-hmm. you're depending on where you're at in the journey as an adoptee. Very hard. Like <laughs> I'm we could take this offline and talk all day about it, by the way. Please, please. Like, I think we need to do like a fireside chat on this because <laughs> yeah. like, I feel like I have only recently been able to say that mm-hmm. because I'm available for something. If when I was going through all of this, I wasn't available. I was not available for that. I was so zeroed in on just all my thoughts and emotions and all the stuff and trying to just still heal and move forward and be okay with not being okay and uh, just so much stuff. But I'm just like, okay, (laughs) a relationship? Mm, Not really. And even when I tried, I felt like I'm a spiritual person. So, you know, I feel like God was telling me, yeah, you're still not really there. Mm -hmm. You're still not really, like you're trying (laughs) to see your effort. It's not working. But now in this relationship with, I think, the distance of all the things that I experienced with my biological family, I've been able to be available for something new. And Mm -hmm. I've been able to work, put that intentional work and just trying to relax more and trying to be okay with giving some vulnerability, you know, and just saying, okay, look. I'm an adopted person. I know that you know this because my partner knows this, but here's what's going on, you know, just a little bit. Like here's here's something that I wrote the other day. Would you would you like to listen? Because it would be helpful for you to know this is me. That helps me, you know, know that you're here. And then just vice versa. Just trying to vulnerability part is is hard. It's really hard to be vulnerable with somebody else and to be like, okay, I have this messed up stuff. Please, you know, hear me. Don't leave me. Don't hurt me. Mm -hmm. Let me show you all this ugly stuff that I didn't really tell you about until I figured it out, you know. Yeah. (laughs) I also realized that it could be very different. And that's a fear. Like if I have all this stuff and your family or your perspective of these dynamics looks completely different than mine. Does that mean that we're not going to work because I have all this and you don't have that? And it's like, and like, I was telling myself that, like Mm -hmm. I was telling myself that that's not going to be a thing, right? But I believe looking at evidence and action is a lot better as a confirmation than just going with whatever's in your head about what else can go wrong and all the stuff. You're in such a healthy and good place and you're so young. What a great optimistic path forward, you know, despite all the pain and the stuff that's come with that, you, you are really like ahead of the game of most people and really 
happy to hear that. It's really encouraging for Thank me you. anyway. Yeah. It's happy to be seen in that way. I have to say that because <laughs> sometimes it's hard to be like, oh, how do, yeah, how am I being seen? How am I doing? Uh, yeah. You know, like and my therapist every now and then is like, you tell me that you want to know, like when you're growing or when something's, you know, positive or whatever. This is that moment. I'm like, okay, well, thank you for that because let's just take a moment and be there. Because once I leave, then I go back to whatever I'm doing, <laughs> and I don't necessarily stay in that space of enlightenment. <laughs> no, that's no, that's, uh, that's, that's that's a hard, you know, that's human. That's just human. Yeah, you know, we, just, yeah. we can only strive. You know, we're never going to be perfect. No, but we can always strive. Just stay in the golden lights of just yes. Like, we rarely, we rarely do. <laughs> well, this has been so great. And I feel like there's going to be more to your story. And please stay in touch with us and keep us posted. And, you know, we're here for you if you ever want to talk or you just need someone to hear you. I have hope for you. the future with, with you out there. You know what I mean? Like people like you and in your age and how you are. I feel the young people are are changing it. It's just thank it, you. It's beautiful. I'm glad that we met and I, and we do want to stay in touch. Well, we will on Twitter, but in, in touch beyond that. I like the fireside, the, yeah, the fireside chat. We'll get on. (laughs) Yeah, no, that'll be fine. Cause this is just good. This is new for me. And I just appreciate the space that you guys have because you're able to do something that many adoptees may want to do, but I don't know how many will actually get to do based on their own, you know, fears yeah. or insecurities, which are very normal. I have them, you know, but you allowed me to do something today. So thank you. Oh, Thanks for being thank you. here. What a thoughtful guy, really. I got to say, I'm still stunned about, you know, early 2000s when he's hitting teen years and there's just still no nothing. Adoption therapy, no talk about, I mean, it's just, it's, Let's go to group. Yeah, let's go to family counseling about this. Yeah, because we know that relinquishment is trauma, and no, nothing. I was thinking about his age because we have sons born, you know, four years later, and I thought in Becker's case, yeah, yeah, and I thought, wow, we're so enlightened, but we're not enlightened at all, are we? (laughs) As a society, it's not really moving. Not when it comes to this topic, because Mm -hmm. it's still a certain thing that, yeah, certain narrative. Hi, Woody. I love what he puts out there. Everybody should go and and look at his link tree and follow his podcast and his thoughts. He's a great writer, very soulful, just how he speaks. And, you know, at his age, I just think he has so much ahead of him in this journey. Just doing, imagine all the stuff he's done by 30 that like I'm figuring out now. I know. And the thing with his his grandmother on his biological side was really sweet because it is important. There was there was mm-hmm. something, and it doesn't mean this isn't going to change down the line. You know, mm-hmm. his his birth mother is probably very young, still herself. So, yeah, it's a lot to unpack. <laughs> it is. Well, another great episode. Sarah. Another great episode. See you next time. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening today. And remember, if you'd like to share your stories or suggest any guests for our show, you can find us on all the socials at the Making of Me podcast. And again, we have a Patreon page so that we can continue to bring these great adoption stories to you. So if you want to find that and donate or contribute in any way, find us at patreon.com searching adoption colon the making of me. Bye. See you next time.